You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren. We are here today. We are back again, actually, with one of our favorite guests that we've had on, Douglas Preston. He's an anti-aging and acne specialist and the owner of Douglas Preston Skin Center. So we are super excited to have you back. Thanks for coming on with us, Douglas. Oh, happy to be here, of course. Wonderful. So do you want to give us a little background just kind of on yourself, your specialty before we get started? Sure. Well, thank you for first of all for having me back again. It's always a joy to uh, talk to your your audience. Um, this is now my 39th year in professional aesthetics. Um, I am uh, planning to work another <laughs> few years anyway, unless mm-hmm. we don't get to work again. But um, I'm still uh, loving the profession. Uh, I've been a spa, a large spa, multi spa owner, and. Uh, uh, consultant to, to the industry, author, speaker, uh, mentor, um, and many have played many other roles uh, in the industry, and they've all been just wonderful. Uh, however, my favorite uh, aspect of the career is what I'm doing now, primarily, and that is being a uh, an esthetician. My practice is fairly narrow. I do just as uh, Tessa just said, or Lauren, forgive me, I think it was Lauren. Um, <laughs> You look the same on the screen. <laughs> um, uh, the um, uh, I do anti-aging and uh, acne treatments, and pretty much that's it. Uh, uh, from a broader menu from years ago, I've narrowed it down to these two services because I think they're the most reliable. Uh, certainly for me, the most interesting, and they make uh, a, a great deal of money per uh, per treatment. So you know, I'm happy with that, and the business part's what I'm all about. Um, uh, of course, uh, you know we're under unusual times right now. We'll be addressing that as we go along. Uh, but um, uh, I want to say what a how fortunate we all are to have this career available to us. And um, now the only question is how to make the most of it uh, for the time that uh, that you're going to be in practice, uh, in spite of the fact that there'll be many changes as you go along. Yeah, Douglas, I'd love to talk about that. I think by the time this episode airs, a lot of spas will be starting to reopen. What do you think are some of the wisest business moves estheticians can make as we go forward into that new environment? Well, I think the fir- one of the first things is that you learn from this experience. Don't, don't expect that we're going to go back to business as usual because we're not. Needless to say, uh, some of the protections that are going to be in place are going to change not only the way we work, but the experience for customers uh, um, uh, as people receiving treatments in a more clinical type environment. That's going to be certainly very different in mine because my, except for my acne treatments, I have a very luxurious small private practice, but, you know, I'm going to be going in there looking somewhat like a surgeon now. And uh, so it's going to be up to me to, to keep that 
wonderful feeling of, of, of specialness and, uh, and luxury and privacy in place in spite of the, the different uh, appearance that I have and some of the steps I have to take to assure safety. But uh, what I mean by learning from this experience, first of all, uh, I'm a guy who's been through now, this is probably a recession, uh, five recessions in my career. <clears throat> They're predictable. Uh, they come around every so often, about every eight years. So in my close to 40 years, there's been five, and uh, that's about right. Uh, the, what I've learned over the many years when we have these huge economic drops uh, is that there is a certain amount of business that goes away. Uh, and uh, even if you can practice, which of course right now we can't, and a, and a percentage that doesn't return when the recession sort of lifts, which is not like overnight, uh, but customers change, their attitudes change, uh, uh, routines change, all sorts of things happen. So we have to find ourselves um, uh, rebuilding a significant part of our business uh, that's normal. And again, in 40 years, I've done it five times. And so uh, you, it's very survivable. But each time you should learn some things about it. One of the most important elements of that learning, I think, is to be prepared for the next disaster. So if you think about it, you, you know, we all buy health insurance, right? Hoping we never have to use it. We all buy um, car insurance, hoping we never have to use it. There's lots of things that we do that cost money that we would prefer not to actually use, but we justify the cost. Well, saving money is the same thing. So as you go along, and I'm a big proponent of, saver, of, of saving, you should store a few nuts for an emergency because they're always going to come. Now, in this particular pandemic, when I had to close my business on the 17th of March, I had over $100,000 in emergency cash put away. Uh, and uh, plus I also got some income from online sales and some consulting, but my business and service hasn't made a dime uh, since March uh, uh, 15th or 16th, I forget the date. Uh, however, um, I'm well prepared for it. If, if my business had to remain closed for a full year or more, I could afford it. Uh, and that is because I took seriously the idea that business interruptions are uh, to be expected. They're costly. And the best way to not get yourself into a panic or deeply in debt is to have money set aside. And uh, there are ways to, to do that. There's all sorts of simple planning uh, strategies out there and some that I have already discussed on my own uh, Facebook site for business. But preparing for the, the inevitable is probably the smartest thing that you can do as a first step to coping with what, what we have going on right now. Hmm. I'd love to hear if you don't mind highly highlighting just a few of those strategies well, to kind of give people an idea. Sure. First of all, it takes a commitment. That's the first, first and foremost. You must commit <clears throat> to making a little bit of sacrifice or a lot of sacrifice to putting money away. Uh, one of the ways that I, I'll give you a few ways I do it, but one of them is any cash I would receive after reporting, I would then put in, uh, whether it's a gratuity or a service, I would put into an envelope and then put in the safe deposit box not touch it, just pretend it's not even there. Now, I know that may be difficult for people who are just starting or whose expenses are high, but even if you took 10% of it, if you got $100 and you took $10 out of there and put it away, it adds up. 
Uh, so I, uh, I, I, I amassed uh, $45,000 in cash. I had more, but I took a, a big chunk of it out to uh, buy a car for cash. Uh, and uh, I also have a side account in an investment uh, a portfolio, which is not a, a retirement portfolio, but it's an investment portfolio that has another uh, almost $70,000 in cash in it. So it's a hundred and some odd thousand. I don't intend to have to touch it, but if I do, it's there. And, um, and, th and that's just one way. Another way uh, is to take a tiny percentage of money per week out of your cash flow. If it's $10, $20, $50, whatever you can afford, take it out, open a savings account, transfer money out of your business checking account into that savings account, and do not touch it. Don't, don't look at it as an account you can spend, but one that's going to get you through a time like this, because now after, what, how many weeks have we been closed? I just, I'm not worried about it. But mm -hmm. if I had not been a saver, it would be, uh, it would be a trying time. So uh, those are at least two things that you can do. Just taking off a little bit of cash if you receive it, whether it's a tip or whatever, because people tend to waste their tips. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, whoa, free money. No, no, <laughs> it's part of the picture. And uh, right. also then uh, just skimming a little bit of your income off an amount that you won't miss, you know, $10, $20, put it aside and, uh, It'll be there for you when you really need it. And I'll tell you, you'll be grateful. I'd love to talk about a couple of the ways you also have been making sure you still have income coming in during this kind of emergency time, which are your consulting services and your retail. How can estheticians who are opening a business kind of implement those? Do you think there's certain prerequisites people need to focus on first before they become consultants? Should every esthetician who has a business have a retail site? What do you think? Well, it's, it's, it's a simple and difficult question at the same time. Yes, if you can, if you're in a position, let's say if you're a solo esthetician, for example, uh, and you have been doing product sales, you can probably continue those sales with your customers if you stay in touch with them. I contact mine regularly, both through a newsletter. And now, and right now, I'm literally picking out kind of my cream of the crop customers, the ones that have been the most reliable anyway over the last six months, and I'm calling them. I and got I'm, a phone call. Hey, girl, yeah. <laughs> and and I loved calling, it. I'm not calling to sell anything. I'm literally, I'm truly calling to just see how my colleagues and my clients are doing. Yeah. You know, I care about them and I, I don't want to show that only if they're paying me money, but you know, I have nice relationships with these people. I care about their families. I care about the fact that they have kids who are missing their high school graduation ceremonies. That just breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and may not be able to go to, to college in the fall. You know, those are like the biggest moments of, you know, for an 18 year old and it's been swept away and, no way can you adequately, you know, replace it. So, uh, so I'm making those contacts with people, but it, but it is also resulting in sales. People are saying, oh, you know what? By the way, I meant to call you. Uh, is it all right if I place an order for product? Well, of course it is. And mm -hmm. so I would say out of ten calls, maybe one or two results in a retail sale. But that is not why I called. And um, uh, and and again, you know, for the nine to, to eight to nine people who don't. 
uh, buy anything, that's fine. I just want to let them know that I'm there, I care about them, and it, it keeps extending that relationship uh, you know, beyond the treatment room, which is so important. Um, the, uh, but but if, as far as your sales go, if you have, an, if you have a per personal website, business website, you definitely want to get that store up in there. If you want to see what one looks like for a solo esthetician, you, uh, you may go to my own website, which is PrestonSkinCenter.com, and, and uh, just look under shop, and you'll see my store. It's pretty much almost all my own uh, branded products, uh, but it's very easy to order there. And, uh, and, and we take, I don't know, we take, well, I mean, we take orders almost every single day and it's, it adds up. So it's been covering my business overhead completely every month and leaving a little extra on the side. And, um, and that has helped me not have to touch my business savings uh, at all. When it comes to selling products, uh, then it gets a little more interesting because if you're selling a brand, a known brand, then there are lots of ways for your customers to get that, and oftentimes cheaper than you have, uh, than you can sell it for, unless you truly do have a brand that's exclusive to the professional market. That's getting harder and harder to find today. And there are mm -hmm. no reasons for it. I won't go deeply into that now. <laughs> but <clears throat> I sell mostly my own brand because the only place a customer can find my brand is under my control, which is on my website, or they can call in an order. A lot of times people just like to do that. They don't want to go to the website for some reason, so they call mm -hmm. me and I, and I take care of the order. Um, but um, when you have your own brand, you limit access to that brand to yourself, and you charge what you want for it. You don't have to compete you know, a dollar for dollar with companies that can sell that same product for a lot less and ship it free. So uh, I, I've always urged people to have a private brand along with the name brand if, or no name brands at all, like in my case, with the exception of just a couple of small things. And you, uh, will, uh, you'll keep your retail going pretty strongly for those who are committed to your products. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting, to, interesting thing to point out because so many estheticians offer, you know, name brands in their spas. And I'm sure that's a, a big chunk of change you lose compared to if you were to have your own line. You know, uh, Tessa, the, the, the biggest question really about private branding, if you don't mind me going there just for a moment, of is course. really, a, is just professional confidence. Mm. People ask me when they're considering doing their own brands, they always ask me the same two questions. And one is that, well, are the products any good? Well, uh, they may or may not be. It depends on what you buy and who you buy it from. So you want to do your research. But yes, many, many companies out there are selling into the professional market. And if their products aren't any good, they're not going to stay in business. So they, they have a, a vested interest uh, in producing products that compete with, can compete with the majors, even though they may look and feel a little different. The other thing is uh, people will say, well, why would anybody buy from me? I mean, I'm nobody, so why would they buy my brand? Well, the mm -hmm. question is, why would they buy any brand? If you, if you really think about it and you're selling a major line, most customers haven't even heard of that brand until they came to you and were told about it. Um, and if you think about our, uh, the, the, the branded companies out there, the major branded companies, most of them spend their advertising dollars marketing to estheticians, not to consumers. 
So, you know, they're spending their advertising money get, trying to get more estheticians to carry the product line, but not necessarily expanding customer awareness of those brands. Do you see? I mean, I've never mm-hmm. seen most of them advertise in, you know, the major uh, beauty right. magazines. No. 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 People so, don't even know that, you know, professional products are, they don't understand the distinction. They've, exactly. They haven't seen them. So you're the people say, oh, well, they really love this brand. Well, guess why? Because you made them love it, so so in so why not put your own? Why not have your own brand? It's all the same to the customer. All they want to know is what do you have and how does it work and can they get it? And so, but the but the profit difference and the the customer retention aspect of it is colossal. It's just so much better, and that's one of the reasons why I don't worry. I'm able to save so much money because I make a lot more profit on private branded products and I sell a lot of them than I would anything else. Hmm. Do you have any tips for creating a successful online retail site? Well, it, uh, again, it, it depends on the kind of audience that you're looking for. <clears throat> I pretty much target my existing customers. I, I really have never attempted to reach the broad, broader consumer market, uh, meaning selling to people who don't already know who I am. Uh, if, and that is where it gets super, super competitive because there's a lot of noise out there. So I make my own noise to my own audience and I keep them buying and I'm pretty happy with that. Now, if what you're trying to do is to take your line and have it and give it mass appeal, then you've got to go to mass marketing. Uh, and that can be as something as small as you know having an Instagram account and doing <clears throat> videos there, using TikTok, using any sort of social media where you might be able to build an audience over time. But then if you're really looking for a big, big audience, then you've got to develop relationships like some people I know who are very successful and I've coached over the years. They have <clears throat> developed relationships with fashion and beauty editors and uh, and uh, reporters, <clears throat> or excuse me, journalists who are interested in that sort of thing. But that's, you know, that's a big commitment. It takes a long time and it's a lot of work. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, <laughs> if you really work social media the way we're told to work it, you know, you need, you need two careers because it's yeah. like, oh, you need to do this twice a week, five times a week. You need to do yeah. this daily. Right. And, if, and then if you're successful as an esthetician, where are you going to get time to do that? <laughs> You know, it's like, how do you do it's it? It's a full-time it's, job. Yeah. 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 So it's sort of like farming, right? It's like, look, okay, uh-huh. now you can harvest, but if you keep going back out there and planting, you know, everything's going to go to rot. So <laughs> you, you know, once you get your, once you get your, your business going, then you have to decide to maintain that or to, you know, invest money in, you know, broader marketing so that you can get a bigger audience, but that means reinvestment and more time and so forth. But who knows, you know, if, if you look at the most successful people in our industry, you know, it's not the estheticians, it is the, it's, it's the product people who many of them started as estheticians, but wanted to, you know, really reach for the bigger business. So they started product companies and, you know, most of them have failed by the way, just like anything else. But, um, the ones who succeeded are eventually able to sell off their company for a lot of money and you know get out of the game. If that is the kind of activity in business you like, then that's a great way to go. It's just that I'm a, I'm a guy who likes things to be a little bit easier. I don't like 
of managing people or facilities. So that's uh, that's not going to be part of it for me. Plus, you know, I'm getting close to retirement, so I got other things mm-hmm. in mind. <laughs> yeah. So so with the presence of an online store. Would you recommend that more as just like an emergency kind of thing, like in the situation that we're currently in? Or would you recommend that estheticians keep that up as business starts to reopen? Oh, gosh, no, you want it all the time. Okay. Um, You know, think of all the reasons why people can't come in. They've had a baby. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe they've moved to a different location. One of my best online customers lives in Annapolis, Maryland. And, um, you know, she just orders regularly. But, you know, and occasionally she visits her sister in my area and she has a facial with me. We're talking once a year. Uh, Other people have moved away permanently and I ship to them. Mm -hmm. Um, No, you want it to be this. This is your salon open 24 hours a day. So when and you'd be surprised at the time of day or night that some of these orders come in. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) really, 3 (laughs) a.m.? But uh, thinking about her, you know, her. her, Right. uh, her, her retinol, but um, there it is. And so, right. no, you want the store up and available for shipping all the time. And um, uh, and then at some point when you either decide you're going to relocate, which happens a lot of times, or you are going to have a baby, or you decide that you don't want to be in the service end of it anymore, you still have that you know hook in the water and you're going to catch some business uh, from that. And that can go... I mean, I'm going to keep mine up after retirement and try to build some business, but if it generates, you know, a few thousand dollars a month, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Passive income. Yeah. Douglas, I'd love to talk about something we haven't really touched on yet, which is the tool you created for that you're marketing directly toward estheticians, which is your unique extractor tool. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with that idea? And what was it like going through the manufacturing process to create it? <laughs> well, uh, it's a funny story. I won't take too long with it. But it, but my very first year of doing aesthetics and, and trying to deal with uh, deeply embedded comedones, I was just so frustrated because you simply, you know, it was not easy to get these things out of the skin using a loop or your fingers or Q-tips or whatever, it's, you know, there's a lot of that that doesn't come out. And there are areas where it's really hard to work on, such as under the chin and the neck and so forth. So uh, I kind of had an idea about what might work. And, and, and to be honest with you, you know where it came from? It came from people kind of laughingly telling me that they used the bobby pin to try to get uh, the curved end of a bobby pin to get blackheads out. And they said, you know, they've been able to get some out with a bobby pin. Of course, you mm-hmm. know, we're all horrified by that. Wow. <laughs> wow. But at the same time, it was an interesting clue. Because uh, I thought, okay, what is it about the bobby pin that works, right? What are the dynamics of it? And I realized, okay, it's a loop. But unlike the loops that we have, a bobby pin has a squared edge, Right doesn't have a rounded edge. It has a squared edge, or many of them do. It has a mm-hmm. right angle. And that right angle keeps the bobby pin in position. It doesn't slip like mm-hmm. the loop does. The loop is rounded, and it's designed to kind of glide over the skin, but a bobby pin bites. And I thought, geez, you know, it's such a sloppy tool, though, and God, you know, crude. And I thought, well, I, I wonder if I could have some, if I could ever come up with something based on that dynamic, which is where you are locking pressure onto the skin, pushing down and transferring pressure below the follicle to lift up, which is really what people are doing and not realizing it. 
Um, and so one day I was visiting a friend of mine who was a dermatologist and, I, and he had a tray of tools out and we were talking and I saw this one tool and I said, what is this thing? And it was a sharp, um, it looked like a tool we see very often at trade shows. It's made by Miltex <clears throat> and it has a cut and a hole on one end, which is something I almost never use. But on the other end, it had an arrow shaped blade. Now the ones you'll see at trade shows is a fat arrow that's very hard, but this one was very slender and, and bendable. And, and uh, so anyway, he told me what that was. It is a medical tool. So you don't see them at beauty trade shows because we can't get them. He gave it to me to play around with and I wanted to see if I could get that to reshape it. So I attempted to do it and I ruined it. So he told me how I could get more and I ordered some and I ruined, I don't know, 30, 40 of those things and they're not cheap. <laughs> But I accidentally figured out how to get this perfect shape on it that I need and then developed a method for using it by just having different people you know, volunteer for me. And I finally came up with a method and it turned out to be just the absolute greatest tool in extractions there is. But it really was inspired by the bobby pin of all things. This is the first time I've told this, by the way. <laughs> Never, this is interesting, yeah. I've never told this before. And um, and for now 38 years, I have been making it. Uh, I don't have it manufactured because, first of all, I don't intend to sell 100,000 of them a year. I only sell maybe, you know, a, 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 a 100 or so a year, if that. But... Um, but it it uh, it it is each one of them is hand shaped by me asked exactly right. If I'm a, if I'm afraid if I have it manufactured in China, what'll happen is they'll be of an inferior quality, and mm -hmm. they'll suddenly make it for you know ten bucks right, and send them out, <laughs> and that's not very profitable. So um, so I get them. Uh, uh, they're indestructible. You you they'll last an entire career. They don't stain. They don't rust. They don't bend, which is actually kind of what I don't like about it because I'd, I'd like them to wear out, but they don't. Mm. And um, <laughs> it's, it's just a, for any esthetician who's doing acne work where extractions are an important part of the process and virtually all of mine are, um, the, the tool is indispensable. It's just the greatest thing out there. And I can't think of anybody who's ever bought one who said otherwise. Yeah, you can definitely, you can feel the difference in having extractions with Douglas. It's just so complete. It gets the whole infection out and you feel just like a brand new baby when you leave the treatment room. One of the best things about it is the speed at which you can work. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I can just roar through, a, through anybody's skin with that tool and do 10, 15, 20 times what anybody else would get out in the same period of time and in more areas which is yeah. why it's so darn effective. And um, I mean, if I, if I didn't have that extractor, I wouldn't even be in the acne business personally. Right. No, you saw a, a gap in the marketplace. And I think that's a big testament to your business skills and um, just a, a great example for estheticians to, to kind of take note of. Is that something, would you recommend if people see Kind of the need for something going out and creating a tool to address it uh, uh i'm not you mean a, like an extraction tool well any i mean i guess you could think of 
Oh, you mean just innovation in general? Yeah. I think just knowing the treatment room and I don't know, there's so many things I think we could realize as estheticians, oh, this process would be easier if I had something like this. Like an example would be, um, there's an esthetician really known for her waxing skills and she's started creating these little wax pads that she now sells as a product to uh-huh. es- directly to estheticians so that it's something that they can have in their in their treatment room it has her branding on it um, but it's just something she kind of realized would make for a more effective treatment oh, uh, absolutely if you have a creative mind and you have the ability to take an idea and follow through with it uh, yes I mean, the over, overwhelming majority of concepts and products that have ever been uh, have designed and made have disappeared. Uh, and sometimes it were pretty spectacular products, but the concept just didn't catch on. And, uh, and it's surprising when that happens. Uh, but um, if, you, if you've got an idea and you can put that into some kind of action, or whether it's a idea you can patent or experiment with or just use on your own in your own treatment room, including treatments themselves. Yes, by all means, because that's how our industry evolves. It evolves through ideas and experimentation and you know, looking at a problem from a, from, a, a, from a unique perspective and saying, hey, you know, what if we tried this? Uh, and I think to me, one of the most wonderful things about being an esthetician Uh, particularly when you get into the point where you're working on your own and you're solo, is that as long as you stay within the bounds of the law, you have incredible creative license. And so, and I, and long ago, I decided I wasn't going to let any product manufacturer or any equipment manufacturer tell me how to do a treatment. I was going to base that on what my own eyes and experience said, Hey, this works. So in other words, before I spend $15,000, $20,000 on a piece of equipment, I'm going to study that thing and say, wait a minute, now what is the actual result that this thing is producing? And is there another way that doesn't cost as much, maybe, maybe even more efficacious? So my treatments are done exactly the way I want and the timing I want. And I really don't follow anybody else's protocol other than what the state board requires in terms of sanitation and public safety. Outside of that, I'm doing what I I think works best. And that's, that, that's one of the things that makes uh, the career so enjoyable. Right. And I think that I, yeah, I think that, as you said, that's kind of one of the beauties of working for yourself and having your own practice is that as estheticians, you know, we have, we have to be using our creative mind, our innovative mind and our critical thinking mind in order to you know, provide the best possible experience because the skincare industry is ever changing. It's, it's never staying, stayed the same and I don't think it ever will. So I feel like, you know, continuing to have that innovative mindset of how can I do this better? Or like you said, when you're looking to bring in a device or a tool or something, really looking at it critically to see what, what does this do? Like at its core function, what does it do? How does it do it? And then going from there on evaluating whether or not you want that or something else, I think is so important as an esthetician. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, th- and, and to your point, Lauren, about, about the way that uh, the industry is changing, one of the advantages of having been around almost 40 years, and I certainly don't pull, uh, you know, my, my weight around in terms of just years, you can, you can spend 40 years doing the same thing and learn nothing. But, uh, 
is the, what interests me as much, if not sometimes a little bit more than the treatment, is the evolution of the customer and the mm -hmm. market itself. Because I don't care what we do, we still have to respond to a buying audience, right? right. And so, you know, we, uh, Kathy and I this morning were reading about the various things that millennials no longer do. One thing they don't do anymore, and, and yet let's face it, it's not 100%, <laughs> but it's a trend, is breakfast cereal. They don't, yeah. want, they don't want breakfast cereal anymore because you have to get milk and then you have to wash the dish. Oh, God. They'd rather stand in line with their phone at Starbucks <laughs> and have breakfast handed to them, even though it takes four times as long to get it. But um, so these things, while they may not seem to make sense, they're, they're real and they're real for a good reason. And you can't judge it. You have to just respond. And so the question is, in the market that's coming ahead, what is that buyer going to want? Are they, are, are they going to be luxury-minded? Are they going to be results-minded? Are they going to have enough time? Are they going to feel like coming because they're so convenience-minded? Are they going to feel like you know, carving an hour out of their day plus transportation to come out and be where you are? We don't know this. Hmm. You know, one thing that hairdressers are, are talking to me about with a lot of alarm is that people are, not, are, are, are starting to embrace their gray more. Well, there's a lot of money in color and way more than in cuts depending on the market that you're in so let's just say that our our customers no longer really care about lines and wrinkles that much hmm. well what do we do about that and so but however i think we can always count on the fact that there's two things people don't want one is to age and second is to have acne while they're aging and <laughs> it's a double horror right and as long <laughs> as that then we can respond to it. But again, the con you know the biggest problem for us as professionals is the clock, and the clock is going to determine you know whether or not people see enough value in who we are and what we do to go through the trouble to come to us. Which is another reason why you want an online store. I got a feeling increasingly that's going to become a bigger and bigger challenge for estheticians. And uh, the question is then thinking about how you're going to respond to that. Yeah, Douglas, that definitely brings me to another question, which is, you know, post-quarantine, are there certain customer behavior changes that you're kind of predicting and preparing for? It's one of the reasons I've been making these phone calls, Tessa, is to kind of gauge mm. the way that people are thinking about all of this mm. and to, to see if, first of all, if there's any expressed hesitation about coming back. One of one of the things I have gotten from just about, well, virtually everybody I've talked to is they can't wait to come back. Okay, that's good. Doesn't mean they will. Remember, it's easy to make that statement, but doesn't mean they'll be there. But but it's a pretty good indicator that they value what you do. So that means, okay, I, I'm obviously doing a good enough job for people to say, I miss you. I wish I could be back and I will be back. But yeah, there's going to be some, there, there will be some permanent changes. First of all, some customers just simply aren't going to come back whether or not it's an economic matter or they've found another way to get what mm -hmm. they want from their skin, which is through, you know, home treatments. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that's really selling like crazy right now, again, is home hair, home hair color. And if somebody is getting a result out of home hair care, that's kind of pretty good. It's not costing them 200 bucks. They might just stick with it. We don't know. The other thing uh, is going to be, the, um, you know, the issue of protection. 
and that is that if they the experience of coming in to see me is going to be very different. So, for example, right, and I'm preparing people for that. So, you know, out on the table outside my front door, there's a nice table out there. We're going to have a hand sanitizer in a in a touch-free unit, and I'm going to have little plastic bags with masks in them, each each you know a sterilized mask in each one. So, if somebody comes in and they don't have their own mask, they there will be one there for them. And they'll be free to take them home if they like. Uh, but I'm going to be, you know, first in a mask when they come in. They're going to be in a mask. I can't have, you know, I used to be, my clients used to love my dishes of chocolate out. Well, that's all gone. Mm. <laughs> but we're putting, but we've got little um, organza bags like for weddings. So we're putting two or three pieces in each one and, you know, tying it. And that'll be there when people check out and they can take it along with them if they want or not. So we're, you know, we're trying to retain as much of the things as possible. But you know, the, the, the blankets and the sheets covering them up like they used to, all that, that's not mm. going to happen anymore. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to have to put on a face shield when they, when they come, uh, you know, when, once they're laid back. And the nice thing about that is people don't usually see me, you know, once they're lying down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to have to keep my treatment room door open and fans going. I'm not sure what that's going to mean in terms of keeping people warm who get cold easily. There's a lot of, there's a lot of challenges here. And so, but for me, I can do anything. What I'm trying to do, however, is to try to keep the primary reason, at least for my anti-aging customers, I want to keep that primary reason they come in alive and, and they do not tell me it's because of how great their skin looks. They tell me, it's how great they feel being there. I've always known this. I've always protected that aspect of my work. That's going to be a little harder to do now. So, uh, but the first thing to do is to keep in touch with your customers, let them know what's coming, promise, you know, that don't focus too much on the sanitation side. Okay, everybody's saying, oh, here's all the steps that we're taking. You know what? Your customers know you're going to do that. What mm-hmm. you really want to do more is to tell them in spite of that, this is what the experience is going to be like. We want you to feel relaxed and at home and like you own the place. And, and you know, I'm one of the changes I'm making in my practice is I'm first of all, going back to three days a week instead of uh, three and a half or four. I'm dropping a, a day permanently. I'm only going to see five clients a day now instead of seven, which means there'll be a half hour between every customer. I, I do not want customers to see one another. I want to make sure that, that when you come in, no one else is there but you. Uh, I raised all my prices already to reflect that, the additional costs and the additional money uh, that I want to make from it. And But I want to do everything in my power to try to maintain that sense of luxury and relaxation and privacy and peace in spite of all these other things that we have to do. And that's the biggest challenge. I think that's actually something you've always done, Douglas, which really separates you from a lot of spas when you go into Preston Skin Center. You're you're very it's a very private feeling, very luxurious feeling. Rarely do I see other clients and there's just not a lot of overlap that you would see at at busier spas. It's very much you have his attention when you're with him. And I think it definitely reflects not only luxury, but now you have the added bonus of it being a little bit safer for people. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So I don't want people to suddenly think that now I'm 
you know, that now I'm sanitation conscious, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> that should go without saying. Right. If the customer's in doubt, then you can tell them. But I see all these people saying, oh, look at all the stuff we're going to do. We're, we're going to do to keep you safe. And you think, well, what were you doing before then? Right. right. So I don't draw attention to the fact that maybe we were deficient in that area. And now we're going to be really serious about it. Right. Uh, I want to let them know that the experience there is going to be really first rate. And so my strategy has always been see fewer people charge more money. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of the fear that can surround raising your prices for some estheticians and, and how you feel it's justified? Well, yeah, you know, it's, 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 that's another one of my favorite questions uh, in general. There's a lot of things that go into it, but first and foremost, most of what holds us back is fear. We're afraid of what's going to happen if we raise our prices because, and this, what this tells me is that we just don't know our customers all that well. But sometimes people also shape the, the customer's attitude by their own sense of fear, meaning that if, you know, if they've heard a couple of times someone say, ooh, that seems kind of expensive, uh, whether it's the service or the product, the fear of that makes people act as if every customer says that. And so they use that justification to not uh, go forward. A similar logic would be, you know, that you're never going to get on a plane again because you saw, you know, a video of one crashing. It's like, yeah, but the chances of that really happening to you are extremely low. But you turn that fear into a generalized fear. And that takes a lot of your life potential away. So when you are uh, thinking about pricing, I always, you know, my question is not what will people pay, but what do I want them to pay and where can I find a place where they'll pay it? It's one of the reasons I'm in Los Gatos because my, my area, Silicon Valley, and particularly in the Los Gatos area, is one of the least touched when it comes to economic downturn. They're the last to feel it and the first to come back. So where do you think I'm going to put my business? You know, I'm not going to put yeah. it in some little small Central Valley town that's heavily affected by economic downturn and didn't have a high income anyway. You know, why do I want to be there? Except that maybe I grew up in that area, so I want to do that. That's fine, except that you have to, you know, you have to accept the dynamics of that. And who's to say even in that town there aren't 10 people who will pay, you know, three times as much as anybody else can afford, right? So, you know, if you're going to open a business, make sure they have a Mercedes dealership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's an indicator, right? Yeah. <laughs> a Mercedes dealership, somebody's buying those cars. And so you, you want to be, you want to be on their team. But, um, you know, when you, to, I do what I call price discovery. First of all, I know how much money I want to make uh, as a, as a professional of, of any kind. And then I say, okay, well, if I want to make that, I've got to charge this and do these this many services, and let's see if it if it can happen. But I I'm not fearful about it. So in the five years I've been in my location, I raised my prices five six times maybe, and now up seven. And I don't explain it. I don't apologize for it. That's the price. People can pay it or not. But remember, if I raise my prices twenty percent and I lose a fair share of my business, I'm 
you know, I'm pretty much even. You know, I don't mind making mm. the same money for fewer customers as long as mm. I don't lose, you know, the retail value of them too. But mm. um, but fear is usually the number one issue, and people don't don't know what their customers are willing to pay. And the way to find out is to test it. You can always go back down or have a sale or do a series if you want to, which I don't do. I don't do any of that. But you um, you also uh, have the opportunity to reach into higher numbers. I'm, I'm working on a new service now that involves um, uh, guided visualization uh, uh, therapy. And I am a certified hypnotherapist, and I used to have a practice on the side doing that. I want to incorporate it into my treatments so that uh, I can capture capture that need too. And right now, anxiety disorder and uh, and um, phobias is a, is a huge epidemic in the U.S. Uh, and that can be treated through behavior modification modalities, which I'm skilled in, so that I can blend the two together and uh, put that on as a higher end service. And um, they, instead of a you know, and then a client's hearing this through a headset. So there's lots of lots of possibilities out there if you're if you're willing to test the market. I think that's great and probably a great place to cap this episode. Douglas, we will leave all of your information in the show notes here so people can find you. You guys, I highly encourage you to reach out to Douglas if you are looking for a, a esthetician consultant or mentor he will always make you feel like you can do it and he always highlights that you know fear is one of the biggest things standing in your own way but highly highly recommend him douglas thank you so much for joining us on and the can podcast I, can I today please do where can people find you uh, for for business help you can find me at preston aesthetics and consulting.com that's aesthetics with an e so preston aesthetics and consulting.com. And I have lots of training tools, book, my new book will be out soon. My extractor is on that site in the store. And uh, and you can also uh, just send me questions uh, uh, from that site as well. I'll be happy to answer them for you. And also on Facebook, I have a site called Preston Aesthetics and Consulting. You can go on Facebook and ask to join it and I'll bring you in if, uh, if you're not a multi-level marketing vendor. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll be happy to, to uh, talk with you there as well. And uh, uh, Lauren and Tessa, I want to thank you again for having me uh, in your programs. I always enjoy uh, talking to you two and, and helping any way I can. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. We'd All love right, to I'll have you back soon. soon huh? and get back yes. Yes. I will for sure be seeing you when this is all over. All right. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Good luck, everybody. Thank Thank you so much. Take care, Douglas. Bye.